All right, brothers and sisters, it's time to take out our Bibles together. If you will, take yours out. And in our journey through the book of Mark, verse by verse, today we come to Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Mark 12, 18 through 27. I would encourage you to look at it with us in your copy of Scripture, as it will not be on the screens behind me. Uh, I'd encourage all of us to look at it in our own copies, and we'll be referring back to it time and time again. Uh, So don't just close it after I read initially, because we'll be coming back to it a number of times during our sermon today. Now, every now and then, I will have a conversation with someone who is kind of apprehensive about heaven, that maybe it's going to be a disappointment. Maybe heaven is is not going to be uh, amazing. Maybe it's not going to be so much better than, than what we've got here. Perhaps you've even thought this before. Perhaps you've, you've never admitted it to anyone. Perhaps you can hardly even admit it to yourself at times. After all, we'll, we're supposed to want to go to heaven. We're not supposed to love this world or the things in this world. But sometimes, if we're honest, we wonder if it's really possible for the joys of heaven to outshine the the joys that we experience here. Sometimes we might think something along the lines of, I I want Jesus to come back, but maybe not just yet, because there's, there's still things I want to experience here. If you have ever had those thoughts, you are not alone. You're not alone. One of our generation's great evangelists died last year. His name was Tim Keller. And he once said, describe to me the God that you reject. When he's talking to atheists, he's talking to people who don't believe in God. Describe to me the the God that you reject, the God that you don't believe in. Chances are, I don't believe in him either. And his his point was, oftentimes when people reject God, they reject a, a caricature of God that's not actually the way he presents himself to us in the Bible. It's not really the way God is. Well, it's the same with heaven brothers and sisters. Describe to me the heaven that you're not really looking forward to. And chances are, I wouldn't look forward to that one either. Chances are, it's not what God actually has waiting for us. Let me show you what I mean. And this is all going to spring out of our text today, Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Let's read it. Follow along with me in your copy as I read. This is God's word. Paul writes, And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise... And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham 
and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. One of the ways God wants to encourage us this morning is this. If you know the scriptures and if you know the power of God, you will never again think that heaven might be a disappointment. If you know the scriptures and you know the power of God, you will never think that again. You will long for it deep in your heart. You will long for it more than a kid looks forward to Christmas, more than adults look forward to their dream vacation that they've finally been able to plan. If you know the scriptures and the power of God. I want to show you three different things from our text today that point us to exactly that. Number one from our text today is there will be a resurrection. There will be a resurrection at the end of all things. The Sadducees came to Jesus, verse 18 says. This this group, the Sadducees came, and it says of this group, they say that there is no resurrection. This is one of the defining beliefs of the Sadducees. They don't believe there will be a resurrection of our bodies at the end of all things. This, this was a group kind of like the Pharisees. They were more political, I believe, than the Pharisees. They and the Pharisees made up the, the ruling council of the Jewish people called the Sanhedrin. And it was, it was a little bit like Republicans versus Democrats today. They, they were on opposing sides. They had opposing views. They, they really did not like one another. They, they had opposing worldviews. But one of their defining beliefs was our bodies will not rise from the dead in the end. The book of Acts actually tells us that these Sadducees also did not believe in angels and they didn't believe in spirit beings at all. They were essentially materialists. And so they come to Jesus who has been teaching that there will be a resurrection. Remember where we're at in the book of Mark. This is the last week of Jesus's life. At this point, Jesus has has gotten a big following, not just his own apostles, but there are other people that are are following him. There are other people that are hinging on his every word. And more than that, there are all kinds of people who know what he's been teaching. Everybody's talking about this man. And everybody's talking about what he has been teaching. And so they know he's been teaching that there will be a resurrection at the end of all things. And they try to stump him with this crazy hypothetical situation. They come up to him and they say, okay, Jesus, you who believe that there will be a resurrection, what about this one? And they even use a law in the book of Moses to to create this hypothetical situation. Back in the, the, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Back, back in the law, it told the Israelites that if a man dies without giving his wife children, and he has a brother, his brother has to step in. And marry that woman and then provide children so that 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 man essentially can have children through his brother and that line will live on and give his wife children. And then they they present this crazy hypothetical. What about seven brothers? They all died without having children. And then so they, they just look at Jesus with smug satisfaction in heaven after the resurrection. Whose wife will 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 they whose wife will she be? They they think they've got him. They think they have him stumped. One of my favorite things about seminary, when I was sitting under the the late, great Dr. Jack Cottrell, was when some young, arrogant student 
would raise their hand thinking that they had the, the ultimate stumper. The, the ultimate thing that was going to stump this man. Some, some 20-year-old, some 22-year-old who just thought of this and they're like, I bet he's never heard this one. My favorite thing was his face when they would say it. Because it would be like, here we go again. Every time. They're like, I bet he's never heard this one. He's only heard it 500 times, actually. And so here here we go again. Well, they try to stump Jesus. And of course, Jesus, Jesus cannot be stumped. But brothers and sisters, one of the things that Jesus is teaching here that we cannot miss is very fundamentally, there will be a resurrection in the end. There will be a resurrection in the end. When Jesus returns, all those who have died will be raised. And it it will be so because God has said so. God has promised that it will be so in his word. There is something more certain than death and taxes, and it is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. So if God says it, it's going to happen. The world would come undone before something that God said will happen didn't happen. When God says it, it happens. And there will be a resurrection in the end because the Lord has told us it will be so. Jesus was actually the first. Jesus was actually the first. Not not the first to rise from the dead. That had already happened a number of times in Scripture, actually. That God would actually raise a person from the dead. But Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus was the very first to raise from the dead, never to die again. The way it says it in my Bible, he was the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus was the very first to raise from the dead, never to die again. He was a preview of coming attractions, if you will, because everyone will rise, never to die again. Listen to Jesus's words from John 5, 25 through 29. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. And when Jesus says that, he means put this in stone. You can bank on this. This is not just true. This is true, true, doubly true. Whatever I say to you, you can bank on it. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Now watch this. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There will be a resurrection. And it will not be only for Christians. It's going to be for every single person. Every single person will be raised and will get a body that will never be destroyed and will never die ever again. And for those of us who are going to be with the Lord, that's the most wonderful news ever. For those who will not be with the Lord, it's some of the worst news in the world. But that is eternal life that awaits us, brothers and sisters. Eternal life. There are so many misconceptions about what eternal life will be like. So many misconceptions, which is why sometimes people think, maybe I'm not really looking forward to that. Brothers and sisters, we will not be spirit beings for all eternity. We will have bodies. We will have bodies for all eternity. 
Now, right now, that's not the way it is for our loved ones who have already passed on. We've, we've been to funerals. We saw their body, but we saw also that their soul was not there, right? Their soul has been separated from their body and is in what we call the intermediate state right now with the Lord. Uh, uh, an intermediate, temporary state where they, their soul is separated from their bodies. That's what's going on right now, but it will not be so for all eternity. Now, interestingly enough, in that intermediate state, in that paradise right now, there are three people who have their bodies. Three. It's a weird number, but it seems to be what it is. Jesus is one. One, one, of, one of the greatest truths in all of Scripture is that Jesus has his body right now. Here's what I mean. From eternity past... God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, Christ, did not have a body until the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he took on flesh. He took on a body when he was conceived in the womb of Mary. But wonder of all wonders, the one who did not have a body from eternity past keeps it into eternity future. This tells us a lot about the value God places on the human body. Much more than many of us would think, much more than, than many would have you to believe. So Jesus has his body in this intermediate state. There are also two others. Do you know who they are? Two people who, who kept their bodies. They never died. They, they both start with the letter E. Elijah and Enoch. Elijah and Enoch never, never died in Scripture, so presumably they have their bodies, three people with bodies, along with all of these other spirit souls with, with no body. But it will not be that way for all eternity. It will not be that way for all eternity, for when Jesus returns, bodies will be raised. And these, these bodies that we have now that are not perfect will be glorified and made new and made better and made everlasting, imperishable. And souls will be reunited to bodies for all eternity. We will have bodies in eternal life. Philippians 3.21 tells us he will transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. And so Jesus' resurrection body actually kind of gives us hints as to what does a glorified body look like? What is it supposed to be like? And so it will be a physical existence, brothers and sisters, a physical existence. Not just we will have bodies, but another misconception that people have is that we will be the, the spirit, ethereal beings floating around on clouds forever, singing worship songs 24-7. A lot of people think that's what heaven's going to be like. I, th I think it has something to do with that intermediate state. But, but that we'll just be floating around on the clouds singing worship songs 24-7. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that we will live on a new earth. We will live on a new, renewed earth. It will be a physical existence. When we sing when we all get to heaven, it usually makes us think of some place up in the clouds. But we will spend eternity on a new earth. Listen to Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you don't do scripture memorization, I hope you at least have one verse memorized. It's that one. right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That does not mean God created the place where he dwells. Heavens there means the stuff above us. So in the beginning, God created the stuff above us and the stuff below us. The, the, the skies, the heavens, and the earth. In the end, he will recreate them. A new heaven and a new earth. A, a new sky and a new 
place below our feet. It will be a physical existence. Listen to 2 Peter 3, verse 13. According to his promise, God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Or listen to to Jesus in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the what? The earth. The earth. And so it wouldn't really fit if we were to sing, when we all get to the new heavens and the new earth. The the, the syllables don't work, right? But, But that's what's happening. That's what's going to happen. That's what's promised to us in Scripture. A new earth. Full of physical things, full of tangible joys, jobs to do, people to hug, things to touch and smell and taste. All the good and pure things that we missed out on here because we didn't have the time or the resources, we will have eternity to do them there. Think about it. Think about that. One of the, one of the struggles in this life is what's called a midlife crisis. People get to the middle of their lives and they think, is this all I'm going to have to show for myself? There's going to be all these things that I never got to do, never got to accomplish, and then they get depressed, right? Because they can see the end. I'm almost 40. I guess it's, you know, maybe I'll have one. I don't know, but I hope not, and here's why. I don't think I will. Here's why. Because all of the things that we don't get to do here, because of time and resources, we will have eternity to do them in heaven if they are good and pure pleasures. All the good and pure things that we missed out on. We will have eternity to do them. So perhaps I'll have Ray Charles or Billy Preston give me piano lessons. Oh, what's that? Their, their waiting list is 500 years long? Oh, wait. I got time, right? I got time. No big deal. Con- consider, though, consider what this means for those who have lost some of their senses here on earth. It's going to be a physical existence. Consider what this means for some who have lost their senses here on earth. Those who are blind now will see in that, in that place, they will see landscapes more beautiful than anything we can imagine, full of colors, some more vibrant than any we have seen, some perhaps brand new altogether. Those who could not walk here will run and leap across the grass like children with the wind in their face and pure joy in their hearts. Those of us who could never touch the rim will finally be able to dunk a basketball. That's, that's me, if you didn't know. And those, those, watch this, those who are deaf now, those who are deaf now will hear the wonderful sounds of that new world, including the voice of their Savior saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home, my friend. Does that sound like a place you want to be? That sounds a lot more attractive to me. I'm looking forward to that a lot more than orb people floating around in the clouds singing worship songs 24-7. And so it's going to be different than many of us think. But it's also going to be different in a way that Jesus talks about in our passage that initially some might see as bad news. Jesus says there will not be marriage in heaven. There will not be marriage in heaven. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 of our text. Jesus says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. It doesn't say we are angels. It says we're we're like the angels in this way, not married. 
They neither marry nor are given in marriage. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand this morning what marriage is for. We need to understand what marriage exists for. Does marriage exist for companionship? Does marriage exist as a gift from God to satisfy the longing in our hearts to love someone else? Does marriage exist for child-making and child-raising? Yes, it does to all of those, but none of those are the primary purpose of marriage. None of those are the primary reasons why God created marriage. What is marriage ultimately for? God tells us in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Here's a huge implication of what this means. God created marriage to be a picture of Christ in the church. That's why marriage exists. Now you might say, wait a second, marriage existed long before Jesus came. Marriage existed long before the church age. And Paul is telling us, no, it's, it's not that marriage already existed and then God said, oh, that's a nice thing I could grab a hold of and then, and then teach people about Christ. No, from the very beginning, it was God's intention. Because God knew the end. He knew what would happen. From the very beginning, God created the institution of marriage to be a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. And therefore, therefore, when Christ returns and his bride, the church, is given to him in purity and splendor, there will be no more need for the picture. There will be no more need for the picture. It will be like scaffolding that is put up to to build a building. Scaffolding is put up so that the construction crew can build that building. But once the building is built, the whole point, then the, the, the scaffolding comes down. It served its purpose. It was temporary. Such is marriage. I was talking before, before we, we came in today with one of our members who was saying that, that when she was younger, her dad passed away and then her mother remarried. Now, in the, the new heaven and new earth, her mother's not going to be a polygamist because there's not going to be marriage right? That she didn't do anything wrong in doing that. There's not going to be marriage because it was a picture of Christ in the church. We're going to have the reality to which Hebrews sometimes calls these things shadows. It was a shadow that was pointing forward to the reality of Christ and the church. And so marriage is temporary. Marriage is temporary. Marriage is till death do us part. That's what what it's supposed to be. Till death do us part. There are other relationships, though, that are actually more foundational than marriage. More foundational even to our happiness. Those of us who are married, we will be married till death do us part. But those of us who are in Christ, we will be brothers and sisters forever. You get that? We'll be brothers and sisters forever. That will never end. And so... One of the implications here is marriage is not the ideal state for every human being. Marriage is not the ideal state for every single person. Those of us who are married, we're we're thankful, I believe, believe we should be at least, ideally. We're thankful to be married. We're thankful for the blessings of marriage. But if, if you are not married this morning, understand that 
You are not missing out on something that is absolutely essential to human flourishing. Think about this. The Apostle Paul was not married. And more importantly, Jesus himself never married and never experienced any of the blessings of marriage. And Jesus of Nazareth lived the most full and fulfilled human life that ever existed. Marriage was not a part of it. Another implication of this for those of us who are married is beware of loving your spouse more than God. Beware of loving your spouse more than God. Jesus said in Luke 14, whoever loves his family more than me is not worthy of me. And David said appropriately in Psalm 73, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. He's speaking to God. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's God. God is our portion. God is our satisfaction. God is the only one who can satisfy the desires of our heart. But for some of us, this might feel sad. For some of us, this might feel sad to think there's going to be no marriage in heaven because we love our spouse. We love our spouse more than any other person on this planet. The only other person that exists that we love more than our spouse is Jesus. We love our spouse so much, this could be sad for some to hear. But remember, remember this. All good and true pleasures here on this earth are simply foretastes of greater pleasures in eternity. Let me say that again. All good and true pleasures here on this earth are simply foretastes of greater pleasures in eternity. So, for example, we will have better bodies. Some of you are young right now and you are experiencing the joy of having a body that really works, right? You experience the joy of it. I remember what that felt like, okay? I've crossed over now. I've crossed, you know what I'm saying? But you have a body that really works. You know the feeling and the joy of, of, of using it, right? And using it for things that are great and fun and it works and it does what you want. But there, there are many here who have, have, have gone into a season of life where their body is turning on them. Their bodies do not do what they want, and their body is not a source of joy. But for many of us, there was a time, there was a time when our body was a source of joy. We will get new bodies in heaven, better bodies, bodies that will, will work even better than they did when we were 16 or 20. Because all of the the true and good pleasures here on this earth are simply foretastes of greater pleasures in eternity. Do you remember the story of Jesus at the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2? What did Jesus do? He turned water into wine. And when the master of the ceremonies tasted that that final batch, he, he said to the groom, he thought it was the groom, you've saved the best until last. No one did that. They always put out the best first and then, you know, decreasing level of, of quality. You've saved the best to last. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has saved the best wine to last. The Lord has saved the best pleasures for last. The reason we love our spouses more than any other person is that we have developed with them the deepest friendship we've ever experienced. Think of what it will be like to have that kind of deep commitment and love for more than one person. Think of what it will be like to have that kind of friendship with Jesus. And so I want to end today by giving you two exhortations straight from verse 24. Look at verse 24 with me. 
Jesus said to the Sadducees, is not this the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the, the scriptures nor the power of God. And so my simple exhortations to you this morning are, know your Bible and know the power of God. Let us know our Bibles and let us know the power of God. I hear people say unbiblical things all the time at funerals. I I do a lot of funerals. It's part of ministry. I hear people say unbiblical things all the time. God gained another angel. Or something like, I know he's hunting and fishing right now up there with Jesus. Why are these things said? Well, there's, there's this hope. There's this... You know, trying to find joy. And I understand that. I want to have compassion and patience. But ultimately, these things are said because we don't know our Bibles. We don't know our Bibles. Why do some people think we're going to be disembodied spirits for all eternity? Because we don't know our Bibles. Why do some people think heaven will be us floating on clouds, singing worship songs 24-7? Because we don't know our Bibles. And why do some people think heaven will be boring? With as much kindness and grace as I can say it, it's because we don't know our Bibles. If you know your Bible, you will know that there are many things about eternity we are simply not told. There's a whole lot about eternity we're simply not told. The Lord didn't feel like we needed that information. It's left to our imagination. Some of these things people even claim to know. But if you know your Bible, you will know what true things that God has revealed to us about eternal life. If you know your Bible, you will never again think heaven might be a disappointment compared to this life. And that knowledge will create within you a longing for your eternal home with God. A longing for your eternal home with God. If you are a young person today, you might genuinely think, this world is great. This life is great, but I'm here to tell you, if you live long enough, that will change. And if you live long enough, this this world will disappoint you, that body will disappoint you, and you won't find it too hard to long for heaven if you still hold to your faith in Christ. But hear this, for all of us, it doesn't matter young or old, if we know our Bibles then the knowledge of what we know about what the Lord has told us about eternal life will create within us a longing for our eternal home with God. And that longing will get us through the sufferings and the trials in this life that many find unbearable. In Psalm 1611, David says to the Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In God's presence, where we will dwell for eternity if we hold to our faith in Christ, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy, full joy all the time. We will be perfectly satisfied and happy for eternity. Think about the happiest you have ever been. You will be happier than that every second for all eternity because you will be in the presence of God. Of God, And at his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. They never end forevermore. So seek to know your Bibles, brothers and sisters, and seek to know the power of God. 
Seek to know the power of God. Anyone who thinks heaven will be a disappointment does not know the power of God. Do you believe that God has the power to raise the dead? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God has the power to create an entire universe out of nothing with just his words? Do you believe he has that power? Do you believe that God has the power to bend history toward his will? Do you believe he has that power this morning? Do you believe that he has the power to oversee the universe, managing every galaxy, every star, every planet, every atom, every electron, feeding the birds and the fish and the beasts of the earth, sending all weather at its appropriate time, and keeping the earth tilted on its axis at just the right degree to sustain life, keeping us in perfect orbit around our sun? Do you believe God has that power? Friend, if God has that power, do you not trust That he can make you perfectly happy for all eternity? Don't you trust that he can do that? Do we know all the details of how he will do it? No. But we know God. We know the power of God. How do we know the power of God? This is all intertwined. How do we know the power of God? We know it from the word he has given us. He has revealed it to us. And so do not be like these Sadducees who knew neither the scriptures nor the power of God. The way we know the power of God is by the word. And so very last thing this morning, notice verse 27. Jesus says, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. In Romans 4, 17, it says, God gives life to the dead and he calls into existence things that do not exist. Will you not come to him, to this God, through his son, Jesus So that you can have life. So that you can have life. Because the Bible tells us, 1 John 5, 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The only way you may confidently look forward to this eternal life is if you have the life that God gives through his Son Jesus. And he only gives it to those who come to him. Through his son, Jesus. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So right now we're going to take a few moments of silent prayer. And we're all going to respond to the Lord. We, We want to have a time of response at the end every single week of each sermon. But it's not just a time for for those who come forward to respond. We need to have a time for all of us to respond. And so that's what this time is. We ask you to spend these next few moments silently praying to God, pouring out your heart to him, and responding to whatever he has laid on your heart through his word. And so after we all do that for a few moments, then we'll we'll come back and we'll have a time of invitation where anyone who needs to respond publicly to the word can do so. So let's pray.